Chapter Three of A Summer in a Canyon, A California Story by Kate Douglas Wiggin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three Life in the Canyon The Heir Apparent Loses Himself. Part A Knowest thou the land where the lemon trees bloom, where the gold orange glows in the green thickets gloom, where the wind ever soft from the blue heaven blows? and groves are of myrtle and olive and rose on the next morning as we have seen they named their summer home camp chaparral and for a week or more they were the very busiest colony of people under the sun for it takes a great deal of hard work and ingenuity to make a comfortable and beautiful dwelling-place in the forest the best way of showing you how they accomplished this is to describe the camp after it was nearly finished the two largest bedroom tents were made of bright awning cloth one of red and white the other of blue and white both gaily decorated with braid they were pitched under the same giant oak and yet were nearly forty feet apart that of the girls having a canvas floor they were not quite willing to sleep on the ground so they had brought empty bed sacks with them and poncho's first duty after his arrival had been to drive to a neighboring ranch for a great load of straw in a glorious tree nearby was a sky parlor arranged by a few boards nailed high up in the leafy branches and reached from below by a primitive ladder this was the favorite sitting-room of the girls by day and served for poncho's bedroom at night it was beautiful enough to be fit shelter for all the woodland nymphs with its festoons of mistletoe and wild grapevines but poncho was rather an unappreciative tenant even going so far as to snore in the sacred place just beyond was a card room imagine it in which a square board nailed on a low stump served for a table where dr paul and the boys played many a game of crib backgammon and checkers here too all elsie's letters were written and bell's nonsense verses and here was the identical spot where jack howard that mischievous knight of the brush perpetrated those modern travesties on the william henry pictures for elsie's delectation the dressing-room was reached by a path cut through bushes into a charming little pool here were unmistakable evidences of feminine art looking-glasses hanging to trees snowy washcloths each bearing its owner's initials adorning the shrubs while numerous towels waved in the breeze between two trees a thin board was nailed which appeared to be used as nearly as the woodpeckers could make out as a toothbrush rack in this philip the skilful carpenter had bored the necessary number of holes and each one contained a toothbrush tied with a gorgeous ribbon in this secluded spot bell was wont to marshal every morning the entire force of the toothbrush brigade and conducting the drill with much ingenuity she would take her victims through a long series of military maneuvers arranged for the toothbrush oh the gaspings the chokings and stranglings which occurred when she mounted a rock by the edge of the pool and after calling in tones of thunder brush brothers brush with care brush in the presence of the common dare ordered her unwilling privates to polish their innocent molars to the tune of hail columbia or auld lang syne and if they became mutinous it was geoffrey who reduced them to submission and ordered them to brush for three mornings to the tune of bluebells of scotland as a sign of loyalty to their commander as for the furnishing of the camp there were impromptu stools and tables made of packing-boxes and trunks 
all covered with bright turkey-red cotton there were no less than three rustic lounges and two armchairs made from manzanita branches and a queen anne bedstead was being slowly constructed day by day by the ambitious boys for their beloved elsie one corner of each tent was curtained off for a bathroom another for a clothes-press and there were a dozen devices for comfort as dr winship was opposed to any more inconvenience than was strictly necessary dr and mrs winship and little dicky occupied one tent the boys another and the girls a third when bell polly and marjorie emerged from their tent on the second morning they were disagreeably surprised to see a large placard over the front entrance bearing the insolent inscription tent chatter they said nothing but on the night after a committee of two stole out and glued a companion placard tent clatter over the door of their masculine neighbors and to tell the truth one was as well deserved as the other for if there was generally a subdued hum of conversation in the one there never failed to be a perfect din and uproar in the other under a great sycamore tree stood the dining-table which consisted of two long wide boards placed together upon a couple of barrels and not far away was the brush-kitchen which should have been a work of art for it represented the combined genius of american mexican and chinese carpenters dr winship pancho and hopyet having labored in its erection it really answered the purpose admirably and looked quite like a conventional california kitchen that is it was ten feet square and contained a table a stove and a chinaman the young people by the way had fought bitterly against the stove protesting with all their might against taking it polly and jack declared that they would starve sooner than eat anything that hadn't been cooked over a campfire bell and philip said that they should stand in front of it all the time for fear somebody would ride through the canyon and catch them camping out with a stove imagine such a situation it made them blush marjorie said she wished people weren't quite so practical and wouldn't ruin nature by introducing such ugly and unnecessary things she intended to point the moral by drawing a picture of adam and eve in the garden of eden eve bending over a cook-stove and adam peeling apples with a machine geoffrey scoffed at marjorie's sentimentalism put on his most trying air and declared that if he had his pork and onions served up hot and regular he didn't care how she had her victuals cooked they were all somewhat appeased however when they found that dr winship was as anxious as they for an evening campfire and merely insisted upon the stove because it simplified the cookery furthermore being an eminently just man he yielded so far as to give them permission to prepare their own meals on a private campfire whenever they desired and this effectually stopped the argument for no one was willing to pay so heavy a price for effect the hammocks made of gaily colored cords were slung in various directions a short distance from the square tent which being the family sitting-room was the centre of attraction it was arranged with a gay canopy twenty feet square three sides were made by hanging full curtains of awning cloth from redwood rods by means of huge brass rings these curtains were looped back during the day and dropped after dark making a cosy and warm interior from which to watch the campfire on cool evenings as for the canyon de las flores itself this little valley of the flowers it was beautiful enough in every part to inspire an artist's pencil or a poet's pen so quiet and romantic it was too 
it might almost have been under a spell the home of some sleepy enchanted princess waiting the magic kiss of a princely lover it reached from the ocean to the mountains and held a thousand different pictures on which to feast the eye for dame nature deals out beauty with a lavish hand in this land of perpetual summer song and sunshine there were many noble oak trees some hung profusely with mistletoe and others with the long spanish graybeard moss that droops from the branches in silvery lines like water spray sometimes in the moonlight it winds about the oak like a shroud and then again like a filmy bridal veil or drippings of mist from a frozen tree here and there were open tracts of ground between the clumps of trees like that in which the tents were pitched sunny places where the earth was warm and dry and the lizards blinked sleepily under the stones farther up the canyon were superb bay trees with their glossy leaves and aromatic odor and the madronio which with its blood-red skin is one of the most beautiful of california trees having an open growth like a maple bright green lustrous leaves and a brilliant red bark which peels off at regular seasons giving place to a new one of delicate pea-green there were no birches with pure white skin or graceful elms or fluffy pussy-willows but so many beautiful foreign things that it would seem ungrateful to mourn those left behind in the dear new england woods and as for flowers there are no yellow and purple violets fragile anemones or blushing mayflowers but in march the hillsides are covered with red in april flushed with pink and blue in may brilliant with yellow blossoms and in the canyons where the earth is moist there are flowers all the year and then the girls would never forgive me if i should forget the superb yucca or spanish bayonet which is as beautiful as a tropical queen its tall slender stalk has no twigs or branches but its leaves hang down from the top like bayonet blades and oh there rises from the centre of them such a stately princess of a flower like a tree in itself laden with cream-white velvety fragrant blossoms the boys often climbed the hillsides and brought home these splendid treasures which were placed in pails of water at the tent doors to shed their luxuriant beauty and sweetness in the air for days together they brought home quantities of spanish moss and wild clematis and manzanita berries too with which to decorate the beloved camp and even dicky trotted back with his arms full of gorgeous blossoms and grasses which he arranged with great taste and skill in mugs bottles and cans on the dining-table can't you see what a charming place it was and i have not begun to tell you the half yet for there was always a soft wind stirring the leaves in dreamy music and above and through this whispered sound you heard the brook splashing over its pebbly bed splashing and splashing and laughing all it possibly could knowing it would speedily be dried up by the thirsty august sun every few yards part of the stream settled down contentedly into a placid little pool while the most inquisitive and restless little drops flowed noisily down to see what was going on below the banks were fringed with graceful alders and poison oak bushes vivid in crimson and yellow leaves while delicate maidenhair ferns grew in miniature forests between the crevices of the rocks yet with the practicality of chinese human nature hop yet used all this beauty for a dishpan and refrigerator now confess that after having seen exactly how it looks you would like to rub a magic lamp like aladdin and wish yourself there with our merry young sextet 
for california is a lovely land and a strange one even at this late day when her character has been nearly ruined by dreadful stories or made ridiculous by foolish ones when you were all babies in long clothes some people used to believe that there were nuggets of gold to be picked up in the streets and that in the flowery valleys flowing with milk and honey there grew groves of beet trees and forests of cabbages and shady bowers of squash vines and they thought that through these fertile valleys strode men of curious mien wild bandits and highway robbers with red flannel shirts and many pockets filled with playing cards and revolvers and bowie knives and that when you met these frightful persons and courteously asked the time of day they were apt to turn and stab you to the heart by way of response now some of these things were true and some were not and some will never happen again for the towns and cities no longer conduct themselves like headstrong young tomboys out on a lark but have grown into ancient and decorous settlements some twenty-five or thirty years old perhaps california isn't really so interesting since she began to learn manners but she is a land of wonders still with her sublime mountains and valleys her precious metals her vineyards and orchards of lemons and oranges figs limes and nuts her mammoth vegetables each big enough for a newspaper story her celebrated trees on the stumps of which dancing parties are given her vultures her grizzly bears and her people drawn from every nook and corner of the map pink yellow blue red and green countries and though the story of california is not written in all its romantic details in the schoolbooks of today it is a part of the poetry of our late american history full of strange and thrilling scenes glowing with interest and dramatic fire i know a little girl who crossed the plains in that great ungeneraled army of fifteen or twenty thousand people that made that long and weary journey to the land of gold in eighteen forty nine she tells her children now of the strange long days and months in the ox team passing through the heat and dust of alkali deserts fording rivers and toiling over steep mountains she tells them how at night she often used to lie awake curled up in her gray blanket and hear the men talking together of the gold treasures they were to dig from the ground treasures it seemed to her childish mind more precious than those of which she read in the arabian nights and from a little hole in the canvas cover of the old emigrant wagon she used to see the tired fathers and brothers worn and footsore from their hard day's tramp some sleeping restlessly and others guarding the cattle or watching for indians who were always expected and often came and the last thing at night when her eyes were heavy with sleep she peered dreamily out into the darkness to see the hundreds of gleaming campfires which dotted the plain as far as the eye could reach you will have noticed that this first week of camp life was a quiet one spent mostly by the young people in getting their open-air home comfortably arranged making conveniences of all kinds becoming acquainted with the canyon so far as they could and riding once or twice to neighboring ranches for hay or provisions dr winship believed in a good beginning and as this was not a week's holiday but a summer campaign he wanted his young people to get fully used to the situation before undertaking any of the exciting excursions in prospect so before the week was over they began to enjoy sound dreamless sleep on their hard straw beds to eat the plain fare with decided relish to grow a little hardy and brown 
and quite strong and tough enough for a long tramp or horseback ride. After a religious devotion to cold cream for a few nights, Polly had signified her terrible intention of letting her nose go. I disown it, she cried, peeping in her tiny mirror and lighting up her two rosy tints with a tallow candle. Hideous object, I defy thee. Spot and speckle, yea, burn to a crisp and shed thy skin afterwards. I care not. Indeed, I shall be rid of thee, thou, hmm, thou, well, leopard, for instance. One beautiful day followed another, each the exact counterpart of the one that had preceded it. For California boys and girls never have to say, wind and weather permitting, from March or April until November. They always know what the weather is going to do, and whether this is an advantage or not is a difficult matter to settle conclusively. New England boys affirm that they wouldn't live in a country where it couldn't rain any day it felt like it, and California lads retort that they are glad their dispositions are not ruined by the freaks of New England weather. At all events, it is a paradise for would-be campers, and anyone who should assert the contrary would meet the energetic opposition from the loyal dwellers in Camp Chaparral. Belle returned one day from a walk which she had taken by herself, while the other girls were off on some errand for the doctor. After luncheon she drew them mysteriously into the square tent and lowered the curtains. What is it? Polly whispered with an anxious expression of countenance. Have you lost your gold thimble again, or your temper, or have you discovered a silver mine? I have found, she answered mysteriously, the most beautifully secret place you ever beheld. It will be just the spot for us to write and study in when we want to be alone, or it will even do for a theatre, and it is scarcely more than half a mile up the canyon. How did you find it? asked Marjorie. As I was walking along by the brookside, I saw a snake making its way through the bushes, and— Goodness! shrieked Polly. I shall not write there, thank you. Goose, just wait a minute. I looked at it and followed at a distance. It was a harmless little thing, and I thought, for the fun of it, I would just push blindly on and see what I should find, because we are forever walking in the beaten path, and I long for something new a bad instinct remarked madge and one which will get you into trouble so you should crush it in its infancy well i took up my dress and ploughed through the chaparral until i came in about three minutes of scratching and fighting to an open circular place about as large as this tent it was exactly round which is the curious part of it and in the centre was one stump covered with moss and surrounded by great white toadstools how anyone happened to go in there and cut down a single tree i can't understand nor yet how they managed to bring out a tree through the tangled brush it is so strange that it seems as if there must be a mystery about it certainly said marjorie promptly a tragedy of the darkest kind some cruel wretch has cut down in the pride and pomp of its beauty one sycamore tree its innocent life-blood has stained the ground and given birth to the white toadstools which mark the spot and testify to the purity of the victim well continued bell impressively i knew i could never find it again and i wanted so much you should see it that i took the ball of twine we always carry 
unrolled it and dropped the thread all the way along the brookside like phrygia or melpomene or anemone or whatever her name was or artesia or polynesia or euthanasia interrupted polly i think the lady you mean is ariadna exactly now we'll take papa to see it and then we'll fit it up as a retreat won't it be charming we'll call it the lone stump oh i like that it makes me shiver cried polly i'm going to write an ode to it at once ahem it shall begin let me see o lonely tree what cruel he did lay thee low tell us the facts did cruel acts abuse thee so sublime second verse said bell slowly with pauses between the lines or did a gopher the wicked loafer gnaw at thy base and doing so contrive to go and leave no trace oh dear sighed marjorie if you will do it wait a minute oh toadstool's white pray give us the light upon the question did gopher gnaw and live in awe of indigestion good continued bell or did a man malicious plan the good tree's ruin and leave it so convenient low a seat for bruin for travelling grizzlies you know we may go there and see a hungry creature making a stump speech while an admiring audience of grasshoppers and tarantulas seat themselves in a circle on the toadstools charming prospect said madge i don't think i care to visit the lone stump or pass my mornings there nonsense dear child it is just like every other part of the canyon only a little more lonely it is not half a mile from camp and hardly a dozen steps from the place where the boys go so often to shoot quail very well said the girls we must go there to-morrow morning and perhaps we'd better not tell the boys they're so peculiar jack will certainly interfere with us in some way if he hears about it now let us take our books and run down by the pool for an hour or two said bell papa and the boys are all off shooting and mamma's lying down we can have a cool quiet time the sunshine is so hot here by the tents accordingly they departed as they often did for one of the prolonged chats in which schoolgirls are wont to indulge and which so often too are but idle senseless chatter these young people however had been fortunate in having the wisest and most loving guardianship so that their happy young lives had been spent to good purpose they had not shirked study and so their minds were stocked with useful information they had read carefully and digested thoroughly whatever they had read so that they possessed a good deal of general knowledge the girls were bright sensible industrious little women who tried to be good too in the old-fashioned sense of the word and full of fun nonsense and chatter as they were among themselves they never forgot to be modest and unassuming the boys were pretty well in earnest about life too with good ambitions and generous aspirations they had all been studying with dr winship for nearly two years and that means a great deal for he was a real teacher entering into the lives of his pupils sympathizing with them in every way 
and leading them through the study of nature of human beings and of god to see the beauty and meaning of life geoffrey strong of course was older than the rest having completed his junior year at college but dr winship who was his guardian thought it wiser for him to rest a year and come to him in california as his ambition and energy had already led him into greater exertions than his age or strength warranted he was now studying medicine with the good doctor but would go back to the land of perpetual pie in the fall and complete his college course a splendid fellow he was so earnest thoughtful and wise so gravely tender in all his ways to aunt truth who was the only mother he had ever known so devoted to dr winship who loved him as his own elder son what will geoffrey strong be as a man the twig is bent and it is safe to predict how the tree will incline his word will be as good as his bond he will be a good physician for his eye is quick to see suffering and his hand ready to relieve it little children with feverish cheeks and tired eyes will love to clasp his cool strong hand he will be gentle as a woman yet thoroughly manly as he is now for he has made the most of his golden youth and every lad who does that will have a golden manhood and a glorious old age as for philip noble he was a dear good trustworthy lad too kindly generous practical and industrious a trifle slow and reserved perhaps but full of common sense the kind of sense which after all is most uncommon bell once said this is the difference between philip and geoffrey one does and the other is jeff is the real simon pure ideal which we praise philip for trying to be a very good description for a little maiden whose bright eyes had only looked into life for sixteen summers and now we come to jack howard who never kept still long enough for any one to write a description of him to explain how he differed from philip or geoffrey would be like bringing the equator and the tropic of cancer together for purposes of comparison if there were a horseback ride jack rode the wildest colt was often thrown and least often hurt if a fishing party jack it was who caught all the fish though he made more noise than any one else and followed no rules laid down in the complete angler he was very often in trouble but his misdemeanors were those of pure mischief and were generally atoned for when it was possible he excelled in all out-of-door sports and indeed if his prudence had at all kept pace with his ability he might have done remarkable things in almost any direction but he constantly overshot the mark and people looked to him for the dazzling brilliancy and uncertainty of a meteor but never for the steady glow of a fixed star just now jack was a good deal sobered and appeared at his very best the teaching of dr paul and the companionship of geoffrey had done much for him while the illness of his sister elsie who was the darling of his heart acted constantly as a sort of curb upon him for he loved her with all the ardor and passion which he gave to everything else you might be fearful of jack's high spirits and riotous mirth or of his reckless actions and heedless jokes but you could scarcely keep from admiring the boy for he was brave and handsome and winsome enough to charm the very birds off the bush as aunt truth acknowledged after giving him a lecture for some misdemeanor the three girls made their way a short distance up the canyon to a place which they called prospect pool because it was so entirely shut in from observation dear old jeff said bell 
throwing her shawl over a rock and opening her volume of Carlyle. He has gone through all this for me and written nice remarks on the margin, explanations and things and interrogations where he thinks I won't know what is meant and had better find out. Bless his heart. What have you brought, Marjorie? By the way, you must move your seat away from that clump of poison oak bushes. We can't afford to have any accidents which will interfere with our fun. We have all sorts of new remedies, but I prefer that the boys should experiment with them. It's the softest seat here, too, grumbled Marjorie. We must get the boys to cut these bushes down. Why? You haven't any book, you lazy Polly. Are you going to sleep or shall you chatter and prevent our reading? Neither, she answered. Here's a doughnut which I propose to send down the red pathway of fate, and here a pencil and paper with which I am going to begin our round-robin letter to Elsie. That's good. She has only had notes from Jack in one letter from us, which, if I remember right, had nothing in it. Thanks. I wrote it. Snipped Bell. Well, I mean it had no news. No account of things, you know. No, I wouldn't descend to writing news, and I leave accounts to the butcher. Stop quarreling, girls. This is my plan. I will begin in my usual rockety style, sometimes maliciously called the Polly Oliver method. Marjorie will take up the thread sedately. Belle will plunge in with a burst of enthusiasm and seventeen adjectives, followed by a verse of poor poetry. Jeff will do the sportive or instructive, just as he happens to feel and Phil will wind up the letter by some practical details which will serve as a key to all the rest. Won't it be a box of literary bonbons for her to read in bed, poor darling? Let me see. I represent the cayenne lozenges, sharp but impressive. Marjorie will do for the jujube paste, which I adore, mild, pleasant, yielding, delicious. Sticky and insipid, murmured Madge plaintively not at all my dear bell stands for the peppermints jack for chocolates the ladies delight geoffrey for a wine drop altogether good but sweetest in its heart phil let me see phil is like what is he like no more like candy than a cold boiled potato said his sister he is candid suggested bell let us call him rock candy pure healthful and far from soft or oh, marshmallow said marjorie good but tough or caramel laughed polly it always sticks to a point thanks gentle creatures said a voice from the bushes on the other side of the pool and phil stalked out from his covert like a wounded deer how long have you been in there villain cried bell ever since lunch but I only waked from a sound sleep some twenty minutes ago. I've heard a most instructive conversation. Never been more amused in my life. Don't know whether I prefer being a cold-boiled potato or a lady's delight. You haven't any choice, snapped Polly, a trifle embarrassed at having been overheard. I'm glad it was my own sister who called me a CBP. The most loathsome thing in existence, by the way. Because sisters never appreciate their brothers. I didn't call you a CBP, remonstrated Marjorie. 
I said you were no more like candy than a CBP. There's a difference. Is there? My poor brain fails to grasp it. But never mind. I'll forgive you. Listeners never hear good of themselves. Sighed Polly. Are you writing a copybook, Miss Oliver? I didn't want to listen. It was very painful to my feelings, but I was too sleepy to move. And now our afternoon is gone and we have not read a word. Sighed little Marjorie. I never met two such chatterboxes as you and Polly. And to hear us talk is a liberal education, retorted Polly. Exactly, said Philip dryly. Come, I'll take the books and shawls. It's nearly five o'clock, and we shall hear Hopiet blowing his lusty dinner horn presently. Why didn't you go out shooting with the others? asked Marjorie. Stayed at home so they'd get a chance to shoot. Why, do you mean you always scare the game away? inquired Polly artlessly. No, I mean that I always do all the shooting, and the others get discouraged. Clasp hands over the bloody cousin, said Belle, and let us smoke the pipe of peace at dinner. End of chapter 3 Part A